Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Till now he described the Benini as being a the Jew who has to constantly struggle. That's a struggle against his ego, as a struggle against his nature. And this chapter is going to discuss that there are there are two types of struggle. There's a struggle when a person has to deal with negativity. But then there's a struggle when a person doesn't have to deal with negativity. A person has to struggle the value of struggle, per se. And a person has to struggle not only to change something negative to positive, but to change something good. Why would a person have to change something good? To better. What's wrong with something good? But if the good is done out of habit, out of rote, and you just do it mechanically and soullessly, then, and there's no struggle involved, there's no effort involved, then that's, 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 not the, that's not the ideal. The ideal is, when is a Jew called Oyved Hashem, a Jew serves Hashem, when does a Jew truly serve Hashem? Only when he struggles, when he has to overcome his nature. Overcoming nature doesn't mean overcoming a negative nature, a bad habit, overcoming your anger, your jealousy, your envy self-absorption. Overcoming nature means overcoming a good habit. <laughs> a good habit is just as, just as deadening and just as soulless as a bad habit. If you do it out of habit and there's no effort and there's no struggle involved, it's just as soulless. Like davening. Only davening? <laughs> Only davening? Yeah, but I'm saying... Over the rest of the day... <laughs> Mitzvot, many other activities. Learning also. So, the idea, this is what Dr. Rebbe is going to introduce here, in this chapter. It's a very, very powerful chapter. He's going to introduce the concept, the idea, the value of struggle. The supreme value of struggle. Of overcoming your nature. Not only overcoming negative nature, but overcoming your positive nature. As the Jew said, he says, I'm not, I'm not worried about my sins. <laughs> he says, my sins? I'm worried about my mitzvah. When you do the mitzvah mechanically and by rote and, and superficially, perfunctory, that's what works. Because when do you truly serve Hashem? When do you truly connect with Hashem? Only when you struggle through effort overcoming nature overcoming your limitations overcoming your habit this is the gist of this chapter let's dive right into it
In the previous chapters, the Alter Rebbe discussed the difference between the Tzaddik and the Benini. The Tzaddik has no evil inclination. Since there is no longer any evil in his own soul, evil holds no attraction for him. In the Benini, however, the evil remains strong. The Benini, therefore, finds evil desirable, and it's only through the constant vigilance and struggle of his divine soul that he is able to prevent his animal soul from implementing its desires in thought, speech, and action. With this distinction in mind, we may understand the verse, And you will return and see the difference between the righteous man and the wicked one, between he who serves God and he who serves him not. This is a verse in, in one of the prophets, in Malachi. Malachi. And the Talmud, the Chagiga, asked the question that this verse makes no sense. It says the difference between the tzaddik and the rasha. He says four things. He names four types of people. Tzaddik, righteous, rasha, wicked, one who serves Elohim, and one who doesn't serve him. Now, it makes no sense. What's the distinction? There's only two distinctions. The tzaddik is one who serves Hashem, serves God. The wicked one is one who doesn't serve God. And the Talmud responds, no. That there's a different, the first distinction is between the tzaddik and the rasha. The righteous one and the wicked one. But then, there is, there within the tzaddik itself, there's another two distinctions. There's the two distinctions, he says, that when the pasuk, the verse continues. And there's a distinction between one who worships Hashem and one who doesn't. They're talking about tzaddikim gemurim. Complete tzaddik. And yet, one of them serves Hashem, one of them doesn't serve Hashem. What does that mean? So when he says doesn't serve Hashem, the Talmud continues, we don't mean he literally doesn't serve Hashem. He's a rush, he's a wicked man. No, the Talmud says the difference is between one who studies, repeats everything he learns in Torah, repeats 100 times. That's the one who doesn't serve Hashem. And the one who serves Hashem is one, when he studies Torah, everything that he studies in Torah, he repeats 101 times. So the, the one who serves Hashem, the one who doesn't serve Hashem, is not the Rasha. Okay, so we understand you have three categories. The Rasha, who's completely out of the picture. Then you have one who studies Torah, but he only studies a hundred times. That's considered one who doesn't serve Hashem. And then you have one who studies 101 times. That's the one who does worship Hashem. But where's the fourth distinction? What's the difference between the tzaddik and the one who serves Hashem? Who studies Torah 101 times? That's not a tzaddik. So what is a tzaddik? A fourth category. The Pasuk is giving us four categories, four distinctions. The tzaddik, the rasha. And then another two who are neither a tzaddik. The one who serves Hashem is not a tzaddik. The one who studies 101 times is not a tzaddik. And the one who doesn't serve Hashem is not a rasha. After all, he studies Torah. Everything he learns in Torah, he studies 100 times. And the Talmud continues and gives an example. Gives an example. As we'll learn later in the chapter. The Talmud continues, gives the example of you go to hire a donkey. You go to the marketplace to hire a donkey. So, if it costs, if the donkey costs, if it, go, it, it costs you 10 zuz to go, Esa Parsa, to go 40 mil, around 24 miles, if you're going 24 miles, if it costs you $1 to go 20, 24 miles, it's going to cost you to go an extra mile, 
and that an extra, an extra two miles, a little over two miles, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you an extra dollar, twice as much, two dollars. It's like staying in the garage an extra minute. <laughs> you double, you double. Double. So that's the difference. In someone who learns the ta- everything he learns in the Torah, he repeats a hundred times. That's someone who doesn't worship, uh, worship God. If he studies one extra time, he's considered someone who worships God. Just like someone who goes just a little extra longer, just a little longer, extends his trip a little longer, pays double. This is what the Talmud says. But the question is, okay, he read inside, the Talmud raises the question. The Talmud raises a question. The term righteous man is identical with he who serves God, and the wicked man is obviously he who serves him not. Why then does the text repeat the contrast? In answer, the Talmud states, Both he who serves God and he who serves him not are fully righteous, yet one who reviews his studies one hundred times cannot compare to he who reviews his studies one hundred and one times. However, This answer seems to clarify only the second set of seemingly repetitive terms. The wicked man and he who serves him not. Far from being wicked, he who serves him not is so described only because he reviews his Torah studies no more than one hundred times. Yet we remain with the difficulty posed by the first set of identical descriptions. The righteous man and he who serves God. In fact, the above-quoted Talmudic interpretation of the verse adds yet a third category. He who serves him not, yet is also righteous. It is this difficulty that the Alter Rebbe now resolves based on his previous distinction between the Tzaddik and the Benini. Based on everything that we learned until now, the difference between the Tzaddik and the Benini, now we can understand these four distinctions very clearly. The difference between he who serves God, Oved, and a righteous man, Sadiq, is that he who serves God, written in the present tense, describes one who is still presently laboring in his divine service. Avoida, what does avoida mean? Avoida doesn't just mean hard work, labor. Avoida means to change. In the Talmud we find the expression, ibud oiris, to work on raw skin of an animal. You take raw skin of an animal and to change it into something flexible, into something silky, delicate, fine, to take rough skin and you turn it into leather, fine hide, fine leather. It takes tremendous effort, tremendous, tremendous effort. But the idea of the language, Ibadairis, means to change. So, the difference between the Tzaddik and the Ayved, Ayved means in the present tense, someone who is working on it. He hasn't arrived yet. He's working on it. It's a work in progress. What's the right answer? Someone asks you, are you a good husband? Are you a good wife? What's the answer? I'm working on it. <laughs> Someone tells you, I'm, I am. Watch out. <laughs> Run for the hills. I'm working on it. Are you a chassid? I'm working on it. I'm a chassid. Also a chassid. I'm working on it. I'm trying. It's a work in progress. It, there's potential. Like you say, a wise man is not someone who has the potential to be wise. He has a good head. That doesn't make him wise. And many people have good heads but never studied. They're too lazy, don't have the zitzflesh, and, and simply don't know. 
a wise man, someone who actually studied, who realizes potential. So when a person has potential, there's a huge gap between our potential and our acral. And the whole goal in life is we're trying to bridge that gap. We're trying to actualize that potential, realize that potential. So we're a work in progress. So that's what we mean. Oyved Hashem, I'm work, Oyved Elohim, I'm working. I'm serving Hashem. I'm trying to serve Hashem. I'm in the middle of changing. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to develop a sensitivity, a feeling towards godliness. I'm trying to change my rough nature that Hashem gave me. Because each and every one of us is born with this rough nature. Rawhide. We're egotistical by nature. Children are very selfish by nature. Children are self-absorbed by nature. Children are very selfish by nature. Children can be very cruel. Without even realizing. They're very cruel to other children. Not because they mean bad. It's just because they're just self-absorbed and self-centered and they can't even imagine. They don't even realize the harm they're doing. They laugh at other kids and, and they don't even realize how, what, how horrible they can be. So, and we're all born with that nature. And then you grow up and we're, so we're all born with a raw hide full of potential. Children are filled with potential. Raw potential. Children are like little seeds. You ever taste a seed? <laughs> it's bitter. It's tiny and it's horrible. But how do you look at the seed? A gardener looks at the seed, doesn't see a seed. He sees the tree, he sees the potential. But to get from the seed to the potential to the, to the tree, you know how much hard work and effort and labor. The gardener has to go every day and water the plant and get rid of all the worms and the bugs that can destroy the plant and water it and protect it and shield it until it starts sprouting and it's so tender and so delicate and you have to protect it till, till you allow the tree without growing crooked, without tremendous effort. And then this potential will yield its, 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 yield its full potential. But it's a, work, it's a work in progress. It takes effort. It takes... So that's what Oyved means I'm working. Hashem gave us the raw material. So we are raw. Judaism never romanticized children. Judaism never romanticized. Judaism knows that the human nature is rough by nature. The excesses of the ego. Everyone has that arrogance or that foolishness that comes together with self-absorption and self-centeredness and ego and the blinders and, you know, and all the limitations, handicaps, human handicaps uh, that handicap us and self-destructiveness, etc., etc. So, but we yet we're full of potential. We have the potential through tremendous effort, tremendous work. We have the potential. We're trying to change. We're trying to take this rough hide, this leather hide and smooth it out through hot tears through work, overcoming in nature, changing in nature, working on yourself. That's maturity. Maturity is working on yourself, realizing that, yes, you have potential, but to realize that potential is going to take tremendous effort, it's going to take tremendous work, hard work and effort. So, Ayved Elohim means I'm in the process, I'm working. It's a work in progress. A lot of promise, a lot of potential. But to get there, it's, it's, it's a middle of work. It's hard work. I'm not there. I'm still rough. I'm still raw. My ego is very much alive and well. With all the negative aspects that come with it, to come along with it. So that's Oyved Elohim. Continue the service. The service consists of the struggle against one's evil nature with the aim of overpowering it and banishing it from the small city, that is, the body which is like a city whose conquest is the objective of both the good and the evil nature. So he has to overcome, he has to overcome his negative tendencies. 
his evil, his ego, his selfishness, self-absorption, indulgence, all the negative habits and nasty habits that come along with it, jealousy and envy and, and, and anger and temper and all the negative, nasty habits that come along that are direct results of ego. Um, arrogance, superiority complexes, inferiority complexes, everyone is filled with complexes, everyone has their own... It's a tremendous, tremendous struggle to overcome. And that's why also he says, he says, Oyved Elohim. The Pasuk says, Oyved Elohim. Hashem has many names. The name Elohim is the numerical value of nature. Hateva is the same numerical value of Elohim. 86. Because Elohim is the God of nature. In other words, Hashem created nature. Bereshit bara Elohim, the world of nature that conceals ungodliness. And that's what's true outside is also true in the inside. We are a microcosm of the whole world. So Hashem conceals our soul. Our soul is covered up by our nature, by our natural soul, our ego soul, which hides and conceals and covers up in our inner richness. That inner richness, that inner depth that can give us substance and reality is covered up by our nature, by ego natures. And it takes tremendous effort to work with this nature. Why did God create us with these nasty habits? And, and, and these rough natures. We're diamonds in the rough. Every Jew is a diamond. A Jew. But to polish, you have to polish the Jew. Otherwise what you see is a piece of schmutz. You have to polish the Jew. If you polish the Jew, the Jew will shine. There are people who are born with horrible natures. Horrible. Egregiously horrible natures. They work in themselves. They, grow, they grew up, they matured, they worked on themselves, and they became beautiful people, fine people, refined people, kind people, generous, good people. But that's our destiny. That's the destiny of the Benini. It's hard work. Hashem didn't create us ready. Hashem created us raw potential. But we have to work. We are the workers. We have to take this raw hide that Hashem gave us, this raw potential that's filled with promise, filled with potential. <laughs> if only we will polish and we will scrub and we will scrape. It's very uh, tremendous, hardly wor- hard work to take this raw hide and turn it into fine leather, smooth, silky leather. Could be done, but it's hard work. So that's Oyved Elohim. We're working with the nature that Hashem gave us with this concealment, and we have to work with it and, and change. So it's a work in progress, continue. So that it should not vest itself in the organs of the body through evil thought, speech, or action. Doing battle against his evil nature is the avoda, service of he who serves God. This constant battle with one's evil nature truly entails much effort, service, and toil. This is the bainani. It is he who must wage this battle, it is the Bainini who is called he who serves God, for he is actively engaged at present in his service. The Tzaddik, on the other hand, is designated a servant, Evid, of God, as a title conferred on the person himself. It is not merely a description of one's active role, as is the designation one who serves. So the Tzaddik, it's not, he's not an Evid Hashem, he's working on it, he's a work in progress, he's there already. He's, he's the master. He's arrived. He's achieved it. He has made that transition. He has made that inner transformation. He has changed. His nature has been totally transformed. His human nature has become godly. He lives and breathes godliness. 
that's his reality. So he's there already. He's, a, he's, he's done. He's there already. He's closed that chapter in his life. He doesn't have to deal with negativity anymore. He doesn't have to deal with anger and jealousy and all these and petty human uh, issues that most of us have to deal with. He's beyond all of it. He's beyond the attraction for money and for power and for fame and ego and, and self-absorption and self-indulgence. He's beyond all of that. His being has been transformed. He's there already. Not that the tzaddik has arrived and his, his life is over in the country. The tzaddik, that chapter is closed. The tzaddik has many other chapters to explore. We learned earlier the tzaddik continues to grow from, from good to even better. It's like the, the, uh, the Rebbe once spoke during the Apollo when they send people to the moon. And um, the Rebbe says, you know, you can learn, about Shem Tov taught, you can learn everything we see or hear or read about, we can learn a lesson in our service of Hashem. What's the lesson you can learn from the spaceship? And um, the Rebbe says you can learn a very powerful lesson, a tremendous lesson. The question is, if Hashem wanted us to do the right thing, and He gave us a Torah, and He gave us a mitzvah, and He expects us to do the right thing, so why did Hashem make it so difficult for us to do the right thing? <laughs> it makes no sense. He wants us to do the right thing. And then He throws us curves from left field. He gives us difficulties from within and from without. Our own natures, we stumble in ourselves, we trip in ourselves. And then obstacles from, even if we're motivated to do the right thing, we get a, a curve from left field, there's obstacles from without. What's the point? It's counterproductive. Does He want us to do the right thing? He should have made it easy for us. And the answer is in the Apollo. You can ask the same question. The whole purpose is of the space rocket, the spaceship, is to get the spaceship out of the atmosphere. Because the force of gravity, the pull of gravity is so powerful, it keeps us down. So what do you do? So they add an appendage. They add a fuel tank. It's three times the size of the spaceship. That weighs three times as much. So not only do you have to schlep the spaceship, now you have to schlep this huge appendage. But what happens? When the spaceship is rocketed, rocketed to the, to the, to beyond the atmosphere, then the fuel tanks are dropped into the ocean. And then the rocket ship just glides straight to the moon. Says, that's the difference between the tzaddik and the benin. The reason why Hashem makes life so difficult, it's that because that's the fuel, that's the jet fuel, that's the, the space fuel that propels us out of the atmosphere. Because if we did not have challenges, we would just vegetate. Our lives would be superficial and skin deep. We would never have to dig deep down inside of us to be able to overcome difficulty. A person who never has to overcome a difficulty is a person who's sleepwalking through life, a person who's living a very superficial life person who will always be immature. It's not a curse, it's a blessing. When Hashem gives a person uh, moral handicaps or challenges, it's actually a blessing because it forces a person to stop and to wake up. And it stop, forces a person to dig deep inside and to discover those inner resources that can help you propel, can help you rise and soar to heaven. Once however, the tzaddik, once, the tzaddik, once you reach the atmosphere, the stratosphere, then you no longer need these negative things for motivation. 
The tzaddik is so self-motivated, he doesn't need the struggle and the conflict with negativity to motivate him. The tzaddik is so motivated because God is infinite and he's just climbing from level to level, from good to even better, and it's, it's ad infinitum. He doesn't need any more negativity. The negativity was never an end in itself, just to make life interesting. Negativity was only, that's the fuel that fuels, otherwise we would just sleepwalk through life. So Hashem forces us. By, by giving us what seems to be insurmountable obstacles and difficulties from within and from without, Hashem forces us to dig a little deeper. Hashem forces us to live life in a much deeper level. And therefore forces us to grow and forces us to change and forces us to soar. Once the tzaddik, however, the tzaddik has already achieved that, he doesn't need the negativity anymore. Then, then the, you just drop the appendage. It's totally unnecessary. So the the tzaddik has closed that chapter. He's not changing. He's already changed forever. He's changed for good. He's transformed. His whole being is transformed. His whole being is godly. He doesn't have to struggle anymore. That's become his nature. That's natural to him. Godliness has become natural to the tzaddik. So the tzaddik is not oivid looking. He's in the process. He's in the prison progress. It's a work in progress. Not a work in, he's done. He's there already. Evid. That's his name. That's who he is. It's not something that he's doing, an activity. That's who he is. That's his being. Eved, Eved. And he says, Eved Hashem. He uses Hashem's name. Hashem's essential name. When he says, Oved, Benin, he was a work in progress, Oved Elohim. Because that's the name of nature. The tzaddik is connected with Hashem. He's Eved. He's already a servant. He's in the palace. He's a servant. It's a permanent, permanent position. It's not a temporary job or a work in progress. The tzaddik is there already. Eved, he's in the palace. He's, he's a servant of Hashem. It's his name. It's established fact. It's not a struggle anymore. He closed that chapter. And then he gives an example. Continue. The term servant is similar to the title sage or king bestowed on one who has already become a sage or king. Someone who's working on a sage, being a sage, you say a Talmud Chacham, he's a student of wisdom, he's trying to learn wisdom, he's trying to acquire wisdom, so it's a work in progress. The Chacham is someone who actually realized that potential already. It's not, it's not a question of potential, he's realized it already. He has learned, he has mastered. He knows it, he has it, it's his, it's his. Same thing as with a king. He's not working on a king, he is a king. And when he sleeps, he's a king, and he's a king 24-7. Not only when he's acting as a king. He's a king. It's his being. He's, he's the king. It's already a done deal. So, it's interesting. The Rebbe's father points out, why does he bring from all the possible examples, does he bring the wise man, Chacham, and the king? And he gives a very, very interesting explanation. He says, we find that uh, Shlema Melech refers to the Yetzir Toiv as as the wise child, the, the good inclination, and the evil inclination as a king, the foolish king. So the sage refers to the godly soul, the Yetzatov, the good inclination, and the king here refers to the evil inclination, the ego. And the tzaddik serves Hashem in both regards. Firstly, he has transformed his ego. He has transformed into, into, into godliness. That even his ego desires godliness. That's, he has transformed the negative into positive. And then also, in the positive, that he, his, 
love of Hashem, as we just learned in the last chapter, is on a different level, a different dimension. It's a gift from Hashem. It's a, it's a love of ecstasy. It's a direct gift from Hashem. He experiences the ecstasy of godliness. His whole being has been transformed. So that's why he's referring to both of these. That the, he's already like the wise man and, and the king. That he has affected both of them has been, have been totally transformed. So he's Eved Hashem. He's in a permanent position. He won't, he's not, he won't be voted out of office. This is a permanent position. He's an Eved. He's in. He's, he's made that transition. He's made that transformation. He has changed. He's not working on change. His potential has become his actual. He's there. He's realizing. So that's why he's called Eved Hashem. Okay, continue. So too he, the tzaddik, has already affected and completely accomplished his service of waging war with the evil in him. He has banished it, and it is gone from him, leaving the seat of evil nature in his heart void within him. Having completed this task, the tzaddik has earned the title Servant of God. We now see that the expressions, a righteous man, and he who serves God, are not repetitious. He who serves God is not a description of a tzaddik, but of a bainani. Now, after the whole previous explanation, now the verse makes sense that there are four levels. There is the tzaddik, and there's the one who serves the oivad al-lakim, and they're two separate people. The oivad al-lakim is the bainani. He's referring to the bainani. He's a work in progress, present tense. And he's elokim. He's trying to connect with elokim, trying to work with his nature, change his nature. His negative nature. The tzaddik is not oivid. He's an evid. He's already a servant. That's his name. That's his status. He's already a servant. He is totally transformed. He's constantly serving Hashem. He has already made that change. He's not working on changing. He's already made he's the avoida, the transformation of taking that raw hide and transforming it into silk. He's already done it into, into, into fine leather. He's already done it. He's there. It's done already. It's a done deal. Evid. It's a permanent state. His being is godly, 24-7. Not only when he's serving Hashem, 24-7. Everything that he does is godly. His whole being is godly. And in tune with godliness. So he's Eved Hashem. So that's the distinction between the Eved, Elohim, and the Tzad. The distinction between the Rasha and the one who doesn't serve Hashem. As the Talmud says, is one who studies Torah a hundred times. We also know the distinction. This is someone who's not studying Torah, is a Rasha, who's not observing the mitzvah. But what's left to understand is what's the difference between, within the Benini itself, there appears to be two levels. So you have the Tzaddik is one level, the Rasha is the other level, and then you have the Benini. So it's only three. No. The verse comes and makes a new distinction, something we never learned before. And this is what the Alter Rebbe is going to explain the rest of the chapter. Within the Benini itself, you have a distinction between one who serves Hashem and one who doesn't serve Hashem. And as the Talmud says, as a tzaddik, a complete tzaddik. He's perfect. He's a Benini. He's studying Torah a hundred times. Every bit of Torah that he learns, he repeats a hundred times. So this is a Jew who's studying Torah. And nevertheless, he's called one who's not serving Hashem. And as great as the distinction between the tzaddik and the rasha, that's as great as the distinction within the bainani itself between the one who's serving Hashem and the one who's not serving Hashem. So we're learning of a new distinction. Within the bainani itself, you have two levels of a bainani. 
the Benini who's serving Hashem and the Benini who's not serving Hashem. Continue. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to discuss the difference between he who serves God and he who serves him not, who, as the Talmud declares, is not wicked. In the category of Benini, there are also two levels. He who serves God and he who serves him not. Yet he who serves him not is not wicked, although he does not wage war with his evil nature. This is a novel concept. Till now we learn that the Benini is someone who has to constantly struggle. You have to struggle with your ego, you have to struggle with your negative tendencies. Now he's telling us there's a Benini who doesn't have to struggle. Perfect. Serving Hashem, he's studying Torah, doing mitzvah, doing everything that's right, 100% perfect. But it's not a struggle. Continue. For never in his life has he committed even a minor transgression in the realm of negative commandments. He has also fulfilled all the positive commandments which he was able to fulfill, including the precept of Torah study, which is equal to all the other commandments combined. And we learned it's one of the mitzvot which are almost impossible not to violate, not to transgress, that a person should utilize every waking moment, every opportunity to study Torah as something that's so rare and so difficult. And yet, even in that area, he's perfect. He excels to the extent. To the extent that his mouth never ceased from study, despite the difficulty involved in this. Yet he is still described as one who does not serve God, for he does not wage any battle against his evil inclination to vanquish it through the aid of the divine light that illuminates the godly soul abiding in the brain, which rules over the heart. As explained above, that the godly soul and the divine light illuminating it are the bane in his answer to his evil inclination. He, who serves him not, does not struggle with it, for his evil inclination does not oppose him at all in an attempt to deter him from his Torah study and divine service, and thus he need not wage any war against it. It is of a very refined person who had a very fine upbringing, and even his ego, his natural soul, enjoys living like a Jew, being Jewish, studying Torah, doing mitzvot. He doesn't find it particularly difficult. He doesn't have a great challenge. Internally, there's no inner struggle, there's no great inner turmoil, inner struggle, inner conflict. He doesn't have to overcome any negativity, any overwhelming uh, negative trait or tendency. He's, it's, it comes very natural to him to study Torah and to do mitzvot and to live and to live, to live like a good Jew. The um, tell a story, the Alter Rebbe, Alter Rebbe used to travel around. Um, this was an opportunity. Whenever he traveled, people would come to him and they would meet him, have a private audience with him. And one of the cities he traveled in, a Jew comes into the Alter Rebbe. And he says, Rebbe, what am I lacking? This was a Jew who had a tremendous reputation as being very kind and generous. He was very wealthy and he shared his money generously. He had an open home and he was the first one to help out at any cause. And any, he was the first one to line up to help out. And he himself would also spend time studying Torah. He was a scholar. And he just, he just raised a good family. He had a tremendous reputation. He was just a solid Jewish citizen. He learned three times. He learned and he davened and he was generous. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better. And being an honest person, he asked the Alter Rebbe, what am I lacking? 
Now the Rebbe looks him, looks him in the eye, this penetrating look, and he says, you know, there are certain animals that God created which is very nice by nature. There are animals that are very cruel by nature, like ravens. But there are animals that are just very kind by nature. He says, what's the difference in you and the animals? Being an honest Jew, when he heard what Alter Rebbe says, he promptly fainted. Because he realized that everything that he accomplished, his great accomplishment that he saw satisfied and he's so content with his smugness and his self-satisfaction and his felt good about himself and wonderful about himself he realized that everything that he accomplished till now there's no difference in him and the animal and when they revived him the Rebbe explained to him how the Rebbe said that Hashem gave a human being a mind and when a person is kind and gentle, it shouldn't just be out of habit, out of nature. It has to be with a divine intent. You have to work on it. It has to come through effort, through struggle. And he says, Shema. What is Shema? Shema stands for three words. Su'u maram inechem. Lift up your eyes. And I don't know if he said then or he said other, another time, the difference between animals and human beings is that animals walk in four. Why can human beings walk in four? Why did Hashem create us that we walk in two? Animals can go through their entire life and never once look up to heaven. <laughs> They'll be looking, where am I getting my next bone or my next food? And the whole life, that's what the whole life consists of. Well, there are many people who spiritually are walking up four. But why did Hashem give us that ability to walk into? That's the gift that Hashem gave us, that we have the ability to lift up our eyes, to wonder, to ask the big question, why? Why are we here? What it, what's it all about? Animals don't wonder, and animals don't ask these questions. But we, have the, we are the only ones who have the ability to ask the bigger questions, the bigger issues. Why are we here? What's it all about? And what's my purpose? And what's my mission? And why am I needed? And... When, a, when you lift up your eyes and you connect with the divine, you bring a divine purpose into your life. Suddenly, what you do, you're not just doing it out of habit because it makes you feel good, because it feels so comfortable, because it feels so familiar, it feels so warm and cozy. It's not, that's not what it's about. But you do it with a divine fire, with a divine intent, with a divine purpose, with a drive. It's a challenge. Lift up your eyes. Hashem has to challenge you. Hashem has to be a verb, not a noun. Hashem has to challenge you. If Hashem is real, I should be jumping out of my skin. What am I doing about it? Am I waking up differently today? Did I change? Did I do anything because of Hashem? I'm just coasting along and going through the motions. So, there are people, this person was exactly what al is describing here. This wealthy Jew, kind Jew, generous, gentle Jew, was a Benini, perfect. He did everything right. He followed the code of Jewish law. He lived a kosher life, a Jewish life, an exemplary life. Really, a role model. A leader in the Jewish community, learning himself and doing mitzvot and being generous and kind. And yet, Alter Rebbe turned to him and says, what's the difference between you and an animal? You're not serving Hashem. You're just going through the motions. There's no struggle, there's no conflict, there's no oomph, there's no fire, there's no energy. In a modern day setting, someone asked the Rebbe, 
He asked the Rebbe, he says, I'm, he says, I'm a perfect Jew. He says, you know, I, have, I raised my family, we, 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 we try to support Israel. What am I lacking? Well, what's, what's missing in my life? So the Rebbe answered, he says, he says, are you a stone? <laughs> a stone can sit there for thousands of years, doesn't budge, doesn't move. Even when you lift it up, and you lift it up to the roof. But the stone doesn't, hasn't changed. The stone remains a stone, unmoved, untouched, unchanged. Nothing changes. You can, you can take the stone and change its circumstances. Bring it to the roof. But the stone remains a stone. Nothing changed. There's no movement. There's no change. There's no growth. There's no life. Even, even a tree, there's movement. The tree is growing. The stone stands still. The stone is content and satisfied being a stone. The tree, there's agitation. The tree is growing. An animal can't stand still. An animal is roaming. That's a sign of life, movement, change, agitation, restlessness, seeking, searching. Something is bothering you. A sense of discomfort with yourself. And a human being has a restless mind. That's the sign of life. A human being has the ability to stand in two and look up. Think about Hashem. Think about the Divine. And godliness should excite you. Godliness should move you and inspire you and change you and challenge you and, and wake you up and shake you, shake you by, shake yourself by the. You know the. Uh, our teachers would tell us in yeshiva. Ever see a chicken get dirty, roll in the sand? Try cleaning the chicken. If you have a few days, you may be lucky. <laughs> Clean the feather. One piece at a time. It's, it's, but then get the chicken to give one shake, one real shake, in one split second, all the dirt is shaken up. So that's, and that's something no one can do for you. You're the only one who can do it to yourself. All the help in the world, all the best advice in the world, all the best intent. No one can live your life for you, no one. Not your teacher, not your mentor, no one. But if you get a person to give himself one shake, one genuine shake, a movement in life, a change, a growth, a, a, a tiny, even a baby step, but something, some movement, some change, some restlessness, some agitation, some. That's a sign of life. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. We're dead. This Bainani is dead, spiritually dead. It's not alive. It's going through the motions. No struggle. No conflict. He's comfortable. He's, he's content. Complacent. Doing everything perfect. That's the trouble. That's the problem. There's no, there's no sense of dissatisfaction. There's no sense of something is missing or something is... Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? A person shouldn't even have a Yetzirah, a person? What happened to his Yetzirah? What happened to his ego? What happened to his evil inclination? He's not tempted to do anything wrong? It's so easy? How is this even possible? I'll continue. So it is, for example, with one who is by nature an assiduous student due to his stolid temperament, and who is also free of conflict with sexual desire due to his frigid nature. We find that people who are, there are extroverts and they're introverts. So people who are, who are, um, have a more melancholy temperament. 
introverted, melancholy bookworms. You know, they enjoy they enjoy curling up with a book and spending a whole weekend just sitting and reading alone. They enjoy entertaining themselves. They have such a rich inner life, they just enjoy entertaining themselves with reading and thinking and and, and this has nothing to do with godliness. Jews, non-Jews, there are people who by nature just enjoy reading and thinking. And there are people who have great minds, but they just they don't have the patience. They don't, they don't have a minimum patience to sit and read and think. They're just extroverted. They love to party, love to socialize. It's a different temperament, a different nature. So the reason why this Jew enjoys studying Torah a hundred times is not because... He's motivated by godliness. Hashem touched him so deeply. Hashem inspired him that it, it, changes, it changes him, it transforms him, it moves him. It's just his nature. Not his godly nature. It's his natural nature, his ego nature. His ego nature is to be introverted. He loves to think and loves to read and loves to entertain himself. He finds his own company more pleasurable <laughs> than most other people. So I mean, that's just his nature. And there's no struggle involved. And you have people who are not central. By nature, not central. There are people just the opposite. They're very central. Everything they do is... They really luxuriate in the pleasure. Every sip of wine, every drop, and every... They don't just eat. They don't just drink. It's like luxuriate, central. This person, he doesn't have... He doesn't have... He's not a lustful nature. He doesn't have a central nature. Materialism doesn't turn him on. He just takes from this world whatever he needs to survive. And that's it. It doesn't turn him on. He's not interested. He's not running to Las Vegas. He doesn't care. It doesn't, doesn't turn him on. It doesn't speak to him. Just by nature, human nature, not because he's a holy person, he's a godly person. Even people who don't even believe in God. There are certain people who are just not central people. It's just, it's just not their thing. That's not their issue. That's not their problem. And that's why he's able, he's able to live a Jewish lifestyle, conflict-free. It's no no struggle. It comes very easy to him. It's natural. He's comfortable. He likes it. He enjoys it. It's a great life. You study. You learn. He has no problem with it. And he can go through his entire life that way. No struggle, no conflict. Coasting along. Continue and similarly. And similarly, with other mundane pleasures, he need not exert himself to master a desire for them for he naturally lacks any feeling for enjoyment. For this reason, he does not need to contemplate so much on the greatness of God to consciously create a spirit of knowledge and fear of God in his mind, in order to guard himself from transgressing any prohibitive commandments. The person who's born with a central nature, who has to struggle and overcome his human nature, the only way to truly overcome it, as we learned earlier, is by engaging your mind, engaging your heart, evoking a feeling, evoking a first beginning with an awareness, a profound awareness of Hashem, and which leads to a sense, a sensitivity, and leads to a sense of awe of Hashem, which helps you helps you overcome your ego nature. But this person, this Benini, because he has no struggle, doesn't, doesn't need any deep contemplation, doesn't need to discover a deep relationship with God, doesn't need to 
to go too deep into the whole subject matter. He believes in Hashem, and that's the end of the story. And he's a Jew, and he's an observant Jew, and he'll live a Jewish lifestyle. End of story. It's no, it's no big deal. Continue. He also need not create a love of God in his heart, which would motivate him to bind himself to him through fulfilling the positive commandments and through Torah study, which equals all the other commandments together. Again, the person who has to overcome his sensual nature, the person who does not enjoy studying Torah, he's an extrovert by nature. He doesn't have a melancholy disposition. He has a very cheerful disposition. That person, in order for him to, to have the zitzflesh to sit and study Torah, it takes tremendous, tremendous effort. And the only thing that will motiv- could motivate a person to make that effort is if he understands Hashem and therefore if he develops a love for Hashem, a sensitivity, an attraction, a pull that helps him to, uh, to, helps him to, to do the mitzvah, to commit himself to do the mitzvah and to study Torah. But for this Jew... The hidden love of God found in the heart of all Jews who are called the lovers of his name is sufficient for him to motivate his fulfilling the commandments since he is naturally so inclined. For a Jew who must engage in battle with his evil inclination, the love hidden in his heart is not enough. He must arouse it to an active, conscious state. For the person who is free of conflict with evil, however, this hidden love, together with his naturally favorable character traits, is sufficient. Obviously, even the Benini who doesn't struggle, why would he be Jewish? Why would he lead a Jewish lifestyle? Um, why would he spend his life studying Torah and doing mitzvot unless he was Jewish? Ultimately, because we're Jewish and therefore we believe in Hashem and therefore we have to serve Hashem. So, of course, ultimately he's motivated by his connection to Hashem. But that connection is, is hidden. It's, it's very... It's submerged. That connection is not a live connection. It's not a vibrant connection. It's, it's yes, I'm Jewish and, and therefore goes without saying... And he has the nature of being a bookworm, and he has the nature of being introverted, so that's why he doesn't spend his time reading physics books or reading chess books. Uh, he's going to read uh, he's gonna, math books, he's going to read the science books, he's going to spend his time studying Gemara, studying Talmud. Because he's a Jew, and therefore he has to serve Hashem, and he has to do what Jews do. Jews spend their time studying Torah. So he spends his time using his mind and his natural inclination to study Torah channel it by studying Torah. So of course, ultimately why did he choose Torah, this lifestyle of other lifestyles, is because he's Jewish, because we grew up as a Jew and he's Jewish and, but that's not a live connection, that's not a vibrant uh, motivator, that, that's just a hidden motivation, a hidden connection, and then coupled with his natural inclination so he, his lifestyle, he arranges his lifestyle and he has an organized lifestyle and, and he's very content, he's very complacent very satisfied. No waves, no great struggles, no great turmoil, no great conflicts. Very smooth, very natural. For this reason... For this reason, he is not considered one who is serving God at all. For this latent love is not of his making or achievement by any means. It is our inheritance, bequeathed by our patriarchs to the entire Jewish nation, as will be explained further. With this, the Alter Rebbe concluded the thought that within the level of Benini, there are two subcategories, he who serves God and he who serves him not. He now goes on to say that even one who is not naturally endowed with traits favorable to God's service may yet come under the category of he who serves him not. See, even though this Jew is motivated by the fact that he's a Jew, and that's why 
ultimately he serves Hashem, he studies Torah and does mitzvahs and spends his time serving Hashem. But nevertheless, you cannot call it, he's not called an Eivet, someone who's consciously connected with Hashem, because it's not his, his um, achievement, it's not his accomplishment. It's something we inherit, the fact that we're, we were born Jewish, we grew up Jewish, we're born Jewish, we have a Jewish soul. So it's not an accomplishment, it's not something that he's accomplished. He's accomplished a relationship with Hashem, he achieved a relationship with Hashem, it's a personal relationship. It's not a personal relationship. It's something inherited. And with that inheritance, he's serving Hashem because he knows that he's Jewish, he grew up Jewish, and he knows he has a Jewish soul, and that's why he's serving Hashem. It's not his own achievement, it's not his own accomplishment. So consciously, there's, been no, there's no conscious connection with Hashem. Hashem is not a living, vibrant force in his life, a reality in his life. It's abstract, it's, it's subconscious, it's, it's of course behind the scenes, that's what motivates everything, but that's, it's not a live connection. And, and then he says, even someone who initially had to struggle, initially had to overcome a difficulty, let's say a person was born with a cheerful disposition, not a melancholy disposition, let's say a person was born extrovert, and for him to overcome his nature, and to have the zitzflesh to sit and study Torah for hour after hour after hour took tremendous struggle, tremendous effort. And he had to discover a deep relationship with Hashem. To make that transformation, to make that change, he had to really dig deep inside of himself and he had to make a very strong connection to Hashem. But that was then. Then he got used to it. It became second nature. And now he fell into a rut. Now he's back, back, now he's complacent once again. So, yes, maybe he has, once in his lifetime, he achieved a real accomplishment. He really achieved a change in his life. He really grew up, he really matured, he really connected with Hashem in a deep, in a meaningful way. In a very personal way. But then, after a while, once you've overcome the difficulty, you've met the challenge, then it becomes second nature. And second nature, you, you get used to it. And it's no longer a struggle. And then you continue, you continue to coast along. So too. So too, he who is not inherently studious, but has accustomed himself to study diligently, so that this habit has become his second nature, thus diligence is now natural for him. For him too, the hidden love of God is now sufficient, unless he wishes to study more than he usually does. To do so, he must arouse a conscious love of God in his heart, only such a love can supply the strength necessary to free himself from the restraints of his acquired nature. This is what the verse says, just like there's a distinction between the tzaddik and the rasha, so too within the bainini itself, one who's neither a tzaddik. The bainini is neither a tzaddik and the bainini is neither a rasha. But there's a huge gap, a huge gulf between, a distinction between the one who's aved, elokim, and the one who isn't. The one who serves Hashem, because it's only when a person overcomes when a person overcomes a challenge, when a person has to struggle, when a, when a person has to sweat, when a person has to exert effort, it's only then that you are alive. When a person just coasts along and is just skating along in life without any real growth, movement, change, effort, just, you just do what's comfortable, just do what's easy, and just do take the path of least resistance and coast along, coast along even if you're doing fine, you're doing good things now you're doing anything wrong like that Jew was perfect a role model but he was coasting along 
He was superficial, he was skin deep. The Rebbe says, you're not serving Hashem. The Pasuk says, you're not serving Hashem. You're not, you have no connection with Hashem. Hashem is not a reality in your life. It's not real. Don't look at the externals, at the looks. The looks don't mean anything. You can have a person who, has, who, looks, who looks like pious, who looks like it's... Uh, but he's dead inside. There's no life, there's no reality. It's not a real person. Just immature person, asleep, sleeping at the wheel. Coasting along, he's an automatic pilot. <laughs> the machine is, is, is riding the plane, he can be sleeping. It's only when a person exerts effort that you come alive. It's like when you want to strike the Flintstone. To get the spark out of the Flintstone, you have to knock hard. To get the friction, to get energy, you need friction. If there's no friction, there's no energy. There's no life, it's dead. You have to, to, get, to get energy, to get life, there has to be struggle. A person has to struggle with himself, overcome his nature, overcome his habits, overcome his limits, push himself, inspire himself, change, transform. A sense of restlessness, a sense of inadequacy. But a person who's so happy with himself and so smug and content and... and this person is dead. Inside, he's dead. Yes, externally, he's doing everything that's right. He's not a Russia, he's a Benini. But he's dead. There's no life connection to Hashem. And with this, the Rebbe explains an unbelievable story. In the Talmud. The Talmud says that uh, one of the ten martyrs, ten Jewish martyrs that we read about in Yom Kippur, Rabbi Hanina ben Tradian, the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir, his daughter Bruria was very famous. Rabbi Hanina ben Tradian went to visit his colleague, Rabbi Yosim ben Kisma, who was dying on his deathbed. He was very ill. Rabbi Yosim ben Kisma said, what is it that I hear that you're gathering people, Jews, to teach them Torah? When the Romans destroyed our temple, and it's forbidden, it's illegal for Jews to gather and for Jews to teach Torah. I'm afraid they're going to burn you to death burn you alive. They burned the temple mercilessly. They're going to burn you to death. You're not afraid? So he says, Hashem will help. Rabbi Hanin Matan says, Hashem will help. Rabbi Yesi says, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm arguing with you with a reasonable argument. What do you tell me Hashem will help? I'm talking to you. Give me a real answer. Anyway. Then, Rabbi Hanan Ibn Tradian turns to Rabbi Yesi and kisses me. He says, tell me. Give me an honest feedback. You say, I'm about to be burnt. Am I going to have a share in the world to come? So Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma says, tell me any good deed that you've done. He says, well, last Purim, I set aside money. You set aside money for the meal, for the Purim meal, and you also set aside money to give to tzedakah for the poor people. By mistake, I took the money that I set aside for the Purim meal and for the drinking, I used that for the poor people. So by right, I could have repaid myself, taken the money that I gave to Tzedakah and repaid. It was a mistake. Instead, I said, you know what? Not only am I going to give that money, I'm, the money that I set aside, I'm also going to give to the poor people. So I gave much more money to Tzedakah than even a man. Oh, he says, if so, Rabbi Yaisi says, Halavai, I should be a part, I should be a sheer in your sheer in the world to come. This is the story. Does it make any sense to you? What's this question? <laughs> Am I, do I have a share in the world to come? 
this is a Jew who's gathering Jews on the Stalinist Rome. <laughs> He's going to be burned for the crime of... And the Talmud concludes that he passed away, Abiyatim Kisma passed away, and all the leaders of Rome paid honor. On the way back from the funeral, they caught Rabbi Hanina Mantadian teaching Jews, and they burned them to death alive with the Torah that he learned. And a whole story, a whole story. We'll get it. So here, he's about to be burned to death for sacrificing his life for teaching Torah. If he doesn't have a share in the world to come, who exactly does have a share in the world to come? And he has a doubt if the wife has a share in the world to come. And he, what, does it, what does Rabbi Yaisi answer him? Tell me, do you have any good deeds? Oh, the fact that you're studying Torah and teaching Torah, oh, that doesn't mean anything. He cracks his a good deed. He finds some good deed. A Purim, a story with Purim, with money. He took a little money. What, what's going on here? The whole story makes no sense. So the Rabbi explains the story as follows. Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Hanandi Bentadian's question was, he wasn't sure if his service of Hashem is pure. In other words, maybe the fact that he loves Torah so much, that the fact that he loves to study Torah so much, the fact that he loves to teach Torah so much, it's not only because he's Jewish and because he has a relationship with Hashem. Yeah, that's also a strong motivation. There's no question about it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be risking his life. But maybe it's also out of his nature. That's part of his nature. There are many Goyim, non-Jews, atheists, Aristotle grew up in, with the aristocracy. He's part of the aristocracy. He, he put everything aside. He, couldn't, he didn't care about money. didn't care about power. Dedicated his life to philosophy. Was he motivated by God? By godliness? By, by, no, by, he was motivated just that. That was his nature. That was his inclination. As we just learned, he had a mother, he was an introvert, and he had a melancholy temperament, and, and his pleasure... It derives its pleasure from thinking and from figuring things out. Not from... And from teaching. And from communicating. It's tremendously pleasurable. He didn't find pleasure in money, making money, in commerce, or in power. And he, made it, he has enjoyed his pleasure from philosophy, from learning and teaching and thinking. What does that have to do with Hashem? It's just nature. So he asked his colleague, his senior colleague of Yesi, he says, tell me, and what I am doing, is it truly motivated by Hashem? Well, maybe it's just my nature is mixed into it. Do I really have a share in the world to come, in the divine, godly world? So he says, tell me something about yourself. And what did he tell him? The difference between, usually, people who are introverted, who have a melancholy nature, and people who are extroverted, and are more sociable, is people who are more sociable, extroverts, are much more generous with their money. People who are introverted, melancholy nature, are very, very exacting. They're not so generous. They keep their money to themselves. They're very exact. So he tells him the story about Purim. If his nature was a melancholy nature, an introverted nature, he wouldn't have been so generous with his money. He says, listen, what's right is right. I set aside money. I designated money for the meal. This is for tzedakah. By mistake, I gave my meal money for tzedakah. I have to repay from the tzedakah money. But, but he, he gave it away. He says, nah, okay, fine. So I'll give more tzedakah. Way beyond his, his measured nature. This proved 
that by nature he was an extrovert. By nature he was a, he was a social bull. He wasn't an introvert. He didn't have a melancholy nature. So the fact that he dedicated his life to study Torah and to teach Torah, to, it was pure. There wasn't even a drop of nature involved. It wasn't like his, that was his natural inclination to study Torah. He did it for one reason and one reason only, because it was his way of serving Hashem. The way for a Jew to serve Hashem is by studying Hashem's Torah. So it was purely motivated by godliness. It wasn't motivated by nature. He says, now I know that you have a share in the world. Now you know that everything that you did was purely godly. Because as long as your nature is involved, then it's not, you're not serving Hashem. You're not serving Hashem. You're not connecting with Hashem. There's no divine connection. It's human nature. Your natural self. Your ego self. Your non-Jewish self. has nothing to do with Judaism, with your relationship with Hashem, with godliness. They tell the... And this was the story of the Akedah classical question, why was the Akedah considered Avram's test? How about Yitzchak? What's Yitzchak here? Yitzchak is chopped liver? What? He's the one who's being sacrificed, yet there's no mention of Yitzchak. Avram's big test. How about Yitzchak? Yitzchak was 37 years old and Yitzchak asked to be bound. And he says, please father, whatever you want. Yitzchak was a grown man, he could have run away. That's, that doesn't, it's not called Yitzchak's test. I, why? Oh. Because if you look what the Torah said, Hashem tells to Avram, now I know. You fear Hashem. Because Avram's predominant nature was kindness. Love. Avram couldn't hurt a fly. Avram's home tent was open to all four sides. Avram sacrificed himself to, re- to redeem those who were imprisoned by helping light. Avram opened the way of Achnasas Urchim, taking care of guests, of feeding and being generous. And that's what that was Avram's predominant nature. Avram was the sun, shining sun, radiated love and warmth. Here Hashem asked Avram to go contrary to his nature, to do something which is the exact opposite of Avram's essential nature. To do something that's so Awesome, to, to, to take the life of a son, to sacrifice his son for Hashem. It was a test for Avram. Yitzchak, however, his predominant nature was sacrifice, heroism, perfection. So for him, this wasn't a sacrifice. He waited for this moment all his life. Yitzchak waited for this moment all his life to be able to sacrifice himself for Hashem, to make a superhuman sacrifice, to go beyond his nature. That wasn't considered a test. For Avram, this was a test. And this is really what the Alter Rebbe is, is, is teaching us here. That the, although a Jew has to serve Hashem with the nature that Hashem gives us, you know, predominantly we have to serve Hashem with our predominant natures. Because that's the energy that Hashem gives us, and that's the gift that Hashem, that Hashem gives us. But nevertheless, a Jew also has to go beyond his nature. If your service to Hashem is limited, that you only do things that are comfortable for you to do, and you never inconvenience yourself, and you never push yourself beyond the limit, and you never do something that's difficult for yourself, or you have to exert yourself, then you're not truly serving Hashem. Then you're just, you're just you're serving yourself. Really. It's nature. It's, 
comfortable to do what's natural. But for a Jew to do something as uncomfortable, you would only do it for one reason. For Hashem. Which is why sacrifice is so essential in Judaism. The middle uh, book in the Torah, Leviticus, deals mostly with sacrifices. Because sacrifice is really our gift to Hashem. It's only when a Jew sacrifices, when a Jew inconveniences himself, when a Jew goes beyond his nature, that the only reason we're doing it is we're doing it for Hashem. We're doing it for Hashem's sake. And it's only then that we truly, we truly, we truly connect with Hashem. It's a beautiful story. When he got married, a newlywed, his father-in-law honored him to go to the, in the synagogue to say the slichos, to daven, for the Ahmed to be the leader of the congregation, to lead the congregation in the slichos. He's a very special, special young man and very learned. Anyway, Rabbi Levi goes to the Ahmed, he goes to the front. And he stands there a few minutes. He takes off his talus, puts back on his talus. Takes off his talus, puts back on his talus. And finally, he says out loud, he says, if you're the Torah scholar, and you're the chassid, then you say slichas. And he puts his talus down and walks away. Everyone looks at him and says, he went off the deep end. He's having his conversation with himself. He's like talking to himself. Put his off the talus, take off the talus. His father-in-law was so embarrassed. This was his introduction to the community. Later on he says, what did you do? You embarrassed me. What, what was going on? Who were you talking to? What, what was that conversation all about? He said, I'll tell you. When I came to the Ahmed to say slichas, I noticed that I'm not the only one there. My Yetzirah is also there. He's also ready to say slichas, to daven, to lead the congregation. I says, what are you doing here? My father-in-law asked me to lead the congregation but who are you? You're never invited. How did you come here to say that? He says, and what are you, why are you so special? I said, what do you mean? I study Torah. I spend years and years studying Torah from the crack of dawn to late at night burning, burning the candle. The Yitzhara says, really? I was there right there with you. I was there right along studying Torah together with you. He says, okay. But I went to Mizrich. I'm a chassid of the Rabbi Dov the famous Rabbi Dov the Magad of Mizrich. You, you're not a chassid. He says, really? I was, there, well, I was there right there with you. In this rich, I was there right along with you. So I believe he says, when he saw that he couldn't get rid of his, his yetzar, he says, if you're the chassid, and you're the lamb, then you say slichas. And he walked away. But <coughs> it's a very deep lesson. A Jew is a chassid. And he's studying Torah. He's doing everything that's perfect. But it's his yetzar. It's not him, it's his Yitzhar. Because it's natural. If you're doing it, then it's natural, and it's comfortable, and it's smooth, and it's beautiful, and it's, you're content, you're smug, you're complacent. That's your nature. That's not Hashem. Where's Hashem here? Where do you see Hashem in this picture? <coughs> Did you have to dig deep inside? Did Hashem move you, inspire you? Is there a live connection? Is Hashem making you jump out of your skin? Is Hashem making you change? Are you, are you really excited about Hashem's reality that it makes, you, it makes you just change your nature? Go beyond your nature. Do something uncharacteristic. Do something different. Sacrifice. Give a, give a precious gift to Hashem. Otherwise, you're just, you're, just, you're just following your own nature. 
And that's why the, the, the previous Rebbe explained, the Talmud says, how does the Yetzirah, how does a Jew come to sin? A person who's lost in the forest, how did he end up in the forest? Everyone starts out in the royal highway. How do you end up from the royal highway, a six-lane highway, to being lost in the middle of a forest? You don't, it doesn't happen overnight. First, make a little crooked turn. You're just a little off. And you continue along that crooked path until it leads you into the highway. In the language of the Talmud, Today, Yetzirah tells you to do this. Tomorrow, he tells you to do this. And before you know it, he tells you, go worship idols. It doesn't happen overnight. Start slowly. So the previous Bible Rebbe says, listen to the language of the Talmud. It's so precise. The Talmud doesn't say the Yetzirah tells you to do something wrong. The Yetzirah says, The Yetzirah says, do something good. But the Yetzirah agrees with it. The Yetzirah tells you to do something good. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's good. Enjoy it. It's pleasurable. Learn Torah. Do a mitzvah. But the Yetzirah is telling you to. You're doing it because it's natural. It comes easy. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. There's no inner depth. There's no soul. There's no choice involved. It's nothing personal. It's just mechanical, by rote, external, superficial. This is nature. And the whole essence of Yiddishkeit, the whole purpose of creation, was that a Jew should change his nature. Hashem created, Hashem created a natural world. But the whole purpose of creation is that a Jew should take this natural world, this raw hide, and transform it, and change it, and work with it. And it's only when you exert yourself and you work hard that you can reveal its potential, and actualize its potential, and truly polish the diamond, and reveal the diamond the godly spark inside. So the only way to access the godly spark is only when you're changing nature, when you're rising above nature, when you rise above your nature, not only your negative nature. This whole chapter is talking about a positive nature, a bainani. We're talking about a bainani. It's perfect. There's nothing negative in his life. He's 100% perfect. His behavior is perfect. His character is perfect. But he's dead. It's nature. It's natural. There's no oomph, there's no soul, there's no life, there's no choice, there's no godliness, there's no... He's not serving Hashem, there's no life connection. Hashem is not a reality in his life, in his conscious life. Of course, subconsciously he's a Jew, and that's why, of course, he's living a Jewish lifestyle. Otherwise, you know, he's not spending time studying physics. He's spending his time studying Torah because he's a Jew, of course. But that's subconscious. It's not a live, live connection, a personal connection, a real connection. And uh, this is the, this is in the language of Hasidus. Hasidus talks a lot about this. There is, there are two concepts. There is this hapcha and there is this kafia. This hapcha means to transform your nature. But that's the realm of the tzaddik. The tzaddik has the ability to transform his ego nature, his ego mind, into a divine. But then there is this kafia. Kafia means to break your nature. Bend your nature. Discipline yourself. Do something that's uncomfortable for you. And to Hashem, this is tremendously pleasurable. Hashem enjoys the iskafia, the bending, 
the, the overcoming, the difficulty, the struggle, the comfort. This is more precious to Hashem than anything else. This gives Hashem so much pleasure. When a person has to go beyond his nature. And um, qualitatively wise. Iskafia is more difficult than Ishapcha. Ishapcha is a total transformation. Quantitatively wise, Ishapcha is, is a much larger transformation. You transform your entire pleasure. Your pleasure is godliness. Your, your drive, ambition is godliness. But qualitatively wise, where is a Jew more, where does a Jew nullify himself before Hashem? Where does a Jew connect with Hashem? In a certain sense, Iskafio, the person has to break himself, the person has to overcome in nature, the person has to restrain himself, the person has to. It's much more precious in the eyes of Hashem. Because you're only doing it for Hashem's sake. When you make that sacrifice, sacrifice, in a certain sense, is much deeper. Qualitatively wise, it's much deeper than transformation. Transformation is very impressive, and it's total transformation. And that's the tzaddik. But there's also an advantage to breaking, bending, overcoming, sacrifice, doing something only for the sake of Hashem, overcoming, rising above your nature, pushing yourself. Pushing yourself doesn't mean, but, but I, have, I only have good traits. I don't get jealous. Like that Jew in the story of Alter Rebbe, I don't get jealous. I don't get angry. I'm generous. I'm doing everything that's right. What's there to push? But you're not a stone. If you're used to studying so much, you got used to it already, push yourself to study beyond your nature. Go the extra mile. Run that extra mile. Push yourself. Go beyond your nature. And no matter what level you're at, you can always go beyond your nature. Exert yourself. It says that Arizal, when he would study Torah, would study every Allah until he would sweat. He would break his head until he would sweat. Until he, if he wasn't sweating, he wasn't learning. He didn't, he didn't consider it learning. It's not learning. He had a brilliant mind, so he understood everything very easily. What other people had to struggle, it came easy to him. But that wasn't, he didn't consider that learning. He considered learning when he broke his head, when he started sweating, because he got into it so deeply that it challenged his mind. So no matter what level you're at, you can always go beyond your nature. Push yourself. So although you're predominant, you have to serve Hashem with your predominant nature. You have to serve Hashem joyously and with your predominant nature. Just like Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu served Hashem with his predominant nature, which was love. But once in a while, you have to have that element in your life of iskafi, of going beyond your nature. Doing something that's inconvenient for yourself to do. Because that's the test that you're truly serving Hashem. That you're truly connected with Hashem. They have a live connection with Hashem. It's only when you can go beyond your nature that you truly connect. And that gives life to everything else you do. Then when you serve Hashem with your nature, there's an oomph to it, there's, there's a vitality, there's a vigor, there's a, there's a depth, there's, there's a surge, there's, a, there's an energy, there's a life. It's real. There's a maturity, there's a growth, there's, there's a reality to it. Otherwise you're just coasting along. Otherwise, what's the difference between us and the animals? Animals are, are creatures of instinct, habit, and if you just live your life by habit and instinct, as most people do, including the Bainani, many Bainanim, perfect Jews, but coasting along on habit. An old triumph, they're coasting along on old triumphs. 
Maybe they had to struggle once in their life, and now it's already habitual. Then what's the difference between us and the animals? Just creatures of, ha- of instinct. We're not serving Hashem. Hashem gave us a potential, a divine potential, to stand in our two, to look up, to be inspired by Hashem, to raise our head, to raise our eyes, to go beyond ourselves, to push ourselves, to go beyond our limits, to make that quantum leap. It's only then that we connect with the divine essence inside of us, with the divine spark. We activate the divine spark inside of us. It's only then when we actualize that spark and we connect with Hashem. Otherwise, we're dead inside. We're Bainan, we're not a Rasha, God forbid. We're not the Eved. And the Eved, but even one who d- does overcome his nature, is not the Tzaddik. The Pasuk says four distinctions. The Tzaddik has overcome his struggles, conflict. He doesn't have to deal with negativity anymore. Tzaddik is there already. The Tzaddik's whole being has been transformed. The Ovid is the Baini who's struggling to overcome, who's pushing himself, who's going beyond his nature. And that this is the whole emphasis of Hasidism. The whole emphasis of Hasidism is that a Jew has to be an Ovid. An Ovid is someone in the present tense who's serving Hashem, who's changing, who's working, who's transforming, who's challenging, who's inspiring himself, who's moving, who's alive, and, um, and through work, through effort. You have to shake yourself up. And um, this was especially the Chabad way. The Chabad approach is that the Alter Rebbe demanded that each chassid, each Jew, has to serve Hashem personally. Not just rely on the tzaddik and the charismatic leader. The Jew has to roll up his sleeves and really, really work. And work to his, to his ability to be continued next week.